Colleagues, welcome back to the office. It's Steve and welcome to the CPE Today podcast. We're going to get started with our podcast presentation here just in a moment. But before we do, I'd like to share some insight on how you can receive credit for watching today's presentation. There are two options. You can either watch live as it's being recorded through Zoom, more on that here in a moment, or you could be watching or listening on demand wherever you happen to receive content. We distribute our show through YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, our website, and many other places. Now, if you happen to be watching on demand on your own schedule, after watching or listening to today's class, head on over to cpetoday.com and locate today's course page. Uh, you can find our course code by looking at the footer of the presentation to see the link presented there. And it will also be mentioned throughout the presentation on multiple occasions. After com purchasing today's class, you'll complete a short five question quiz on what was discussed in today's presentation. And upon passing that your certificate for your CPE credits will be automatically generated and available for download. In addition to your purchase, you can also download copies of today's presentation, learning materials. You can ask the presenter questions and more. Now, if you happen to be watching live as it's being recorded through Zoom, your attendance will be confirmed through attendance prompts, which will occur every 12 to 20 minutes and approximately four per hour. They'll pop up automatically. And when a prompt comes up, please choose a response to confirm your attendance. It doesn't actually matter what you choose as long as you choose something as your response will confirm your engagement with our presentation. Attendance prompts might not be announced, so please keep an eye out for them. Now, as long as you've com uh, completed at least 75% of the attendance prompts, you will receive full credit for our presentation. Your completion certificate will be delivered to you by email within two business days of the event. You can always visit cpetoday.com if you have any questions or issues with your certificate. After our presentation today, we'd love to know what you think. Uh, there will be a course evaluation that will automatically pop up. It should take you anywhere from one to three minutes to complete, and your feedback will be used to help us produce better content in the future. Now, if you have any questions or comments throughout the presentation, we'd love to know what they are. Please use the chat or the Q&A functionality to let us know what you think, or if you have any questions on the materials that are being presented. Also, please feel free to share your experience, knowledge, and insight with the class. If you have any technical issues, you can also use that functionality to ask for help. You can always find great content at cpetoday.com. We have a variety of self-study and live courses from all topics, accounting, audit, personal development, Excel, QuickBooks, and more, you name it. Check out cpetoday.com. And the CPE Today podcast is made available Tuesdays and Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. And you can always find great content being discussed in that podcast every single week. If you happen to be a new user, listener, viewer of the CPE Today podcast, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. We're ecstatic and happy to have you. How about you get a free credit on us? Use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to get a free credit for today's class. We're going to go ahead and get started with our presentation here in the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy our presentation. Colleagues, welcome back to the office and welcome to our presentation for today. This is K2's biggest security and privacy concerns. My name is Steve Yoss. I'll be your instructor and presenter in our course today as we look at today's largest security and privacy concerns as they exist in North America and abroad. 
Now, in today's class, we are going to be looking at and examining at a variety of different security threats, privacy issues that have popped up, and other major incidents that have occurred uh, that have affected the way that we compute uh, and use our devices, work online, work remotely, and more. And I've got an action-packed presentation for you today, really kind of uh, intended to give you a good comprehensive view and vision of what security in the modern era looks like. We're going to talk about insider and privilege misuse and what that looks like to have one of your own, one of your staff members, breach your organization to steal data for typically their personal gain. We're going to take a look at supply chain attacks. Supply chain attacks are when threat actors target less secure elements of your supply chain. Uh, maybe not you directly, but rather where you get your software, where you get your email. Most notably, the SolarWinds data breach of 2021 is a great example of this attack where SolarWinds customers were ultimately the goal, but it was SolarWinds themselves that were breached and that ultimately caused their clients to experience a data breach. We'll talk about email security. Business email compromises or BEC attacks are increasingly becoming a bigger and bigger threat uh, to organizations. Uh, I would say email is one of your top attack vectors. Uh, so what is a BEC attack and what can we do to prevent it from occurring for us? We're going to have a comprehensive discussion on malware and ransomware. And although these topics are interdependent on each other, they are distinct. It's important to kind of understand the differences between them and what each attack means to your company. We're going to take a heavier emphasis, though, on ransomware uh, because ransomware is proving to be more pervasive, more damaging, and growing in popularity than any other type of malware attack that's out there. Uh, and we're also seeing some new changes with respect to how ransomware is operating, both in terms of what the threat actors are doing with the data and what they are, uh, the pain that they are inflicting on the victims of these breaches. So we have an action-packed day for you planned here. Um, there's probably more material that we're going to be able, not be able to discuss today than to be able to discuss because there's so many incredible topics that we can review for. Um, but my goal is that you're going to leave with a pretty good comprehensive vision for security uh, and make good decisions for yourself, for your family, for your organizations on how to keep yourself secure and overall reduce your risk of identity theft, data breaches, malware attacks, and more. Now, before we get going, a couple of housekeeping things, and then we're going to go ahead and dive into our material. Uh, again, my name is Steve Yoss. I am an instructor and presenter with K2. I've been an instructor and presenter with K2 now for many years, and uh, I primarily work in our security courses, our Excel courses, software courses, and more. Heck, I think I pretty much teach the entire catalog of uh, content for, uh, for the company. And I love it. I, I get to write and teach and talk about technology, one of my absolute favorite topics. And I love getting to work with this incredible group of instructors and wonderful folks like yourselves. And so thank you so much for attending my courses and, and, uh, and consuming our content. Besides my work with K2 and besides being a writer and instructor, uh, I work as a software developer. Uh, I came up as an accountant, as a CPA. I'm fully licensed here in the state of California, but my love has always been with technology. And I love the fact that I get to write and teach on technology, but then also build it for other people. Uh, my company is Debmatics. We build all types of software for all types of organizations, whether it be custom accounting software to power your business or inventory solution or mobile app to engage with your customers and more. 
week build just about everything you can think of. If you have any questions on technology for your companies or security procedures or policies or best practices, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'll always try to help you. And if I can't uh, help you directly, I'll certainly do the best I can to point you in the right direction. Now, as we get going with this, I do uh, uh, want to let you know that uh, with respect to the content we're covering today, it's going to get a little technical at places. Uh, I'm going to do my best to try to keep it keep it light and also to kind of keep it focused on the big picture pieces of this. With security, though, I do want to make an acknowledgement that if you're not familiar with how to configure group policy for Microsoft 365 or how to install anti-malware for your organization, um, I would strongly encourage you to engage with a competent professional in your area that is familiar with this. As we'll talk about later in our presentation, it is so easy for you to get this wrong. And you'll probably hear me mention this a few times throughout our presentation today, that you have to be right and you have to be secure 365 days a year. The bad guy only has to be right once. Uh, so when it comes to security, my recommendation for you is if you don't know how to do this yourself, you certainly engage with somebody that you trust that is uh, because the stakes are really that high. So we are going to discuss first, again, the insider and privilege abuse. And what we should be thinking about here is our people and what would happen if our people happen to use the technology that's inside of our business against us, either taking data and leaving and going to a third party, selling it to some sort of competitor or some other type of third party, extorting money from us or something else. Uh, statistically, in the United States, and this is not just with cybercrime, but really all crime, you have a far higher likelihood to know the victim than to not know the victim. Now, some of those circumstances change as we start looking at large-scale data breaches and ransomware, especially as they're being perpetrated uh, by groups around the world. Again, typically where we're seeing a lot of the big-time ransomware groups are coming out of uh, the Far Eastern Europe, typically Russia, and also a fair amount coming out of China. Um, apart from that, you know, if you're going to have a crime committed against you, statistically, there's a more likely than not chance you're going to know the person who committed it. And unfortunately, that also includes our colleagues, our staff, our trusted coworkers. And in some instances, but we've worked with these people for, you know, years or longer. And so, most of these attacks typically are for some sort of personal gain. Uh, it could be, for example, where somebody uh, takes data and then sells it to a competitor. Uh, somebody takes proprietary information, trade secrets, and, uh, you know, for example, will either go and start a competing organization, extort their employer for, front, for funds. Uh, it could be that they have a grudge and they want to cause some sort of public embarrassment. Uh, it could be to help secure employment with other rival organizations. I remember reading a uh, story not too long ago, a couple years at this point, uh, but it was between two large-scale yogurt manufacturers. And one guy had left another major large yogurt manufacturer and was going to a competitor and took a whole bunch of proprietary information that he shouldn't have taken and knew he shouldn't have taken. And everybody ended up in court, and it was ruled that you know what he did was illegal. But we have to be aware of our people, and we also have to be aware of what uh, what potential damage they can cause. And this can happen really at any level of the organization, from entry level all the way up to corporate officers. Um, but I would say it's probably more of a mid to high level inside the organization than not. 
Uh, public organizations, real estate organizations, administrative, transportation, manufacturing, mining, uh, these statistically are the most at risk. And this is coming from the Verizon data breach investigation report, but I think it can really happen to anybody. Uh, and I'm going to share a story with you here in a minute of kind of what that could look like. But uh, recommendations here, you got to know your data and you need to know who has access to your data uh, to review their account privileges and to watch for data theft and to regularly audit people's rights and privileges and what they're doing in their computer systems. You know, you should uh, incorporate technologies, for example, like data loss prevention. Uh, DLP is a technology that will monitor your uh, systems at rest, meaning the data just sitting on the hard drive, and it will also monitor data as it's being transversed across a network. And um, it can be really helpful uh, with respect to uh, finding uh, potential data leaks, data breaches, uh, as the data is being moved on. And it'll also show you where you might have some exposure, you know, maybe files with tons of social security numbers or, you know, accounting information that shouldn't be exposed or something else. So that DLP, again, is data loss prevention. Good news is if you're a 365 subscriber, there's a fabulous DLP function built right into the tool. And I'll show you a website here that you can take a look at. And another method that you can also use to prevent this from occurring is to very clearly communicate what the... Uh, expectations of privacy and what uh, privileged information constitutes inside the organization. And one of the best ways of being able to handle that is through uh, policy inside your company. And uh, having corporate IT policies where it's very clearly stipulated what proprietary means and what's confidential. Uh, If you tell people that, if you put it into the employee handbook, then you can hold people accountable if they choose to violate those principles. And there's a great resource from the SANS Institute uh, that I'll show you as well, where you can get some of the great language related to uh, how we can um, write these policies and incorporate them into our into our business. But let's first with take a look at an example of where this type of breach occurred. And this actually occurred last year in 2021 with the company Ubiquity. Uh, Ubiquity, if you're not familiar with them, they are a network technology company. They make switches and routers, firewalls. A lot of their stuff is used you know, both in the home as well as in business. Really good company, and they make really good stuff. And this particular story, I mean, it was a roller coaster uh, of um, – just a roller coaster, frankly. It really, like, when it originally came out, everybody was like, oh, my God, how could Ubiquity be this, you know, this careless to let this happen to them? And then it turned out it wasn't what any of us thought it was. So I'll give you, this is a, just really kind of, again, to show you what can happen with your staff and what can have an impact on your business. So in January of 2021, Ubiquity expreached, expect, yeah, sorry, excuse me, Ubiquity experienced a potential data breach of its cloud accounts. Like pretty much every provider now, you know, their technology isn't just on premise. If it's like a thing in your house or your office, it's always communicating back to the mothership. And there so many of these services require cloud connectivity. Ubiquity devices are no different, you know, and Ubiquity has their own data centers. They also leverage uh, third party data centers, specifically Amazon Web Services. Okay. So, it was alleged that the attackers in this data breach had compromised a password management tool of an employee, specifically LastPass, that had been maybe storing information unsecurely and somehow they were able to get access to his account. The circumstances of this are a little fuzzy. 
Either way, they were able to get access, administrator access to an AWS account. And they alleged that because they had this access, they had access to all the data buckets. Um, S3 is a data storage tool for Amazon. Uh, The application logs, all the databases that Ubiquity had access to, user credentials, so on and so forth. And if this had been true, holy smokes, I mean, we're talking millions and millions and millions of people would have been at risk here. Uh, such access, if they if they actually had what they say they had, uh, would have allowed them to remotely authenticate to pretty much any modern Ubiquity cloud device. And uh, they estimated it was about 85 million in over 200 countries. And the, the uh, attackers demanded a ransom of 50 Bitcoins at the time, about 3 million bucks in exchange for being quiet, you know. And this kind of leads me to a point I'll just make. I want to point out with the facts and statistics that are in this report or really any report that you read about cybersecurity, it's the stuff we know. There are a lot of instances I'm willing to bet where there's data breaches and they pay hush money just to make it not known. Because, you know, if you're a giant public company, Microsoft, Apple, so on and so forth, you know, and you have a data breach of this magnitude, I mean, it's going to kill your stock and it's going to have massive financial consequences to the company. Well, Let's continue our story here, and you'll kind of see what I end up, what I mean by this. So the hackers alleged that they had full access, but in reality, they had access to a single AWS account. They didn't have the whole kit and caboodle. And just because they had access to the AWS account, they didn't actually have any of the data. Uh, they were able to go in and create additional virtual machines within AWS's infrastructure for that account, but not actually touch any of the data. The best analogy I can give this to you, the hackers stole the keys to the building. They were able to get in the building, but every file cabinet in the file room was locked and they couldn't open the file cabinet themselves. They could walk around the building, they could see the file cabinets, but they couldn't really do anything with them because they didn't have the keys to unlock those file cabinets. So it wasn't really a data breach in the sense that data was leaked or stolen other than the fact that infrastructure was was tampered with, you know, and they were able to, you know, monkey, monkey around a little bit, but not actually cause any major damage. Well, uh, on December 1st, 2021, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York uh, charged a former high-level employee of Ubiquity with data theft, wire fraud, alleging that the data breach was basically an inside job to extort the company for millions of dollars. Interesting. Okay. The indictment claimed that the former employee caused further damage by pushing the publication of misleading news articles about the company handling the breach that he penetrated, uh, which were followed by a significant drop in the company's share price. Okay. Worth billions of dollars in market capitalization. And that is pretty common here. Uh, You know, the news breaks and it can have a huge, huge impact on the actual stock of the company. So in this particular instance, nothing really happened. A guy had access to this. This is part of what he was able to do. And then he, you know, kind of masqueraded and pretended it was some sort of big data breach really to just to extort his employer. So the aftermath of this, okay, Ubiquity um, during this breach itself did not engage with the attackers. Uh, rather, they had their own internal incident response team that resolved the issues and they, cl- and they closed the actual the security threat themselves. Ubiquity did have to notify all of its customers of a potential breach. They did this proactively and without, uh, as far as I'm aware, without being forced legally to do so. Uh, They invalidated all of their customer credentials that they were storing, required their um, 
customers to reset logins upon use of their equipment and website. They faced huge, huge public outcry, lots of bad press and scrutiny over their business practices here. It's some of it, to be fair. I mean, I could see some, um, you know, but at the end of the day, I, I think they handled it as best they possibly could. I mean, you have to trust somebody. You know, there's somebody at Google who's got way more access than they should due to the nature of their job or Apple for that matter. And every once in a while, you're going to get a bad egg who's going to do something crazy like this. But I think they handled it reasonably well. And as they were a publicly traded business, their stock did take a huge hit. But, you know, a year later, they're doing just fine selling millions and millions of devices around the world. So let me show you a couple of resources here that I'd mentioned when we were talking about insider abuse that I think are worth noting. So the first one I want to mention is going to be the SANS Institute Security Policy Project. Now, you can check this out by going to sans.org. Come on over here to the resources section. Last link, Security Policy Project. And what they've done is that they have created almost 100 different security policies that you could choose to use in your business. Um, and I would say as a, in conjunction with your employee handbook. Uh, these policies are available 100% free of charge. Um, SANS Institute is a nonprofit. Their entire intention is to promote cybersecurity around the world. Uh, so this is part of their nonprofit mission. Besides this project, I'll point out they've got fabulous webinars, white papers, and training. So if this stuff interests you, check out their site. Uh, but back on our subject here, uh, they have a ton of different policies that you could choose to use. Uh, so here's the acceptable use policy. Uh, besides this, they've got like the remote access policy. They've got password construction guidelines, so on and so forth. And you can download this in either PDF or doc format. Let's take a look at the PDF. It's a little bit easier to get. And it's a written policy. And so, uh, you know, the policy will discuss the overview of the policy, how it's supposed to function, the purpose. But then it gets down here into the meat of this, into the scope of this. So, and it's a kind of a choose your own adventure, pick the policies that you like. They're all going to have placeholders, company name, proprietary information stored, yada, yada, yada. You must, through legal and technical means, protect this information according to, you know, this other policy, the data protection standard. You have the responsibility to report theft, loss, unauthorized disclosure. And in a nutshell, most people aren't good, myself included, at maybe writing all the legalese that's going to make this a really functional policy. This is going to be written already for you. It's good to go. It's locked and loaded. Just pick the ones that you need, customize them, make them fit your organization, and then add them to your employee handbook. And once you've handed this to these people, um, they will now have communicated, you will have now communicated what the responsibilities are, and you can then hold them accountable. Now, another technology I mentioned was DLP, data loss prevention. And uh, there's nothing really fancy I can show here. This is just a support article from Microsoft's website. But if you're running any of the enterprise versions of 365, you can uh, create and implement DLP policies, data loss prevention. And this article will walk you through what DLP does, how it works, what it's going to protect you against. Uh, and there are a number of standard policies that you can consider using, um, which can help you monitor in the event that data leaves. It could basically keep track of that and at least uh, give you the insight necessary to make decisions. All right, let's go ahead and have a review question. What is the primary motivation for insider 
privilege misuse, the primary motivation here. Uh, you know, I think technically this could be all of them. You know, it, it's, it depends, obviously, the specific circumstances of the perpetrator here. Uh, but just to cut to the chase here, it always comes down to money. So I would say the primary motivation is going to be financial or personal gain. You know, that's definitely what you're going to end up with. Let's go into our next section, which is going to be a supply chain hack. Okay. So a supply chain hack is a type of breach where a uh, threat actor seeks to damage the organization by specifically targeting less secure elements in the organization's supply chain. Okay. Supply chain traditionally is logistics. You know, so when I think about supply chain, I think about raw materials and, you know, how it ultimately ends up coming to the company and through what means. But in a you know, in the technology sense, supply chain is really every vendor that you potentially work with. And if you think about it, man, there are a lot of vendors that we work with. You know, if you're in a public accounting practice, you could be working with several different companies, creating your accounting software, maybe your payroll software, your write-up solution, audit software, firm management, plus all the standard business applications that you're probably using as well. So an attacker could compromise the company that develops maybe your custom inventory solution. And it's a solution that you build to specifically manage the way that you manage inventory in your company. Maybe you make something proprietary and you've got a custom manufacturing system, something that manages the uh, um, you know the, the equipment that's actually making your widgets. One way or the other, it's the vendor who gets targeted, and then because you're using their software, they push an update to you securely that you think is normal and good to go, but you become infected, uh, not because of anything that you did, but because there was a breach, let's call it one level up, okay? So cyber criminals typically tamper with manufacturing or distribution of products by installing malware uh, or hardware-based spying components. So uh, they'll typically install some sort of malware, that malware usually is intended, if it's a supply chain level attack, for like espionage. At least that's what I've been reading and, and what I've seen, um, where it, they're never really, I mean, the sophistication of some of these attacks, it's not like just a bunch of thugs looking to do a, a quick hit. We're talking like deep, deep secret, like we're trying to, you know, play 3D chess here and, you know, we're stealing stuff, but you're not even going to know you were hit until like a year later kind of a thing. Uh, and that's really one of the really hard things with these supply chain attacks is that you frankly just don't know if you're exposing yourself to risk. Um, you just don't know. You know, it, it, I mean, how would you know? How would you know? You know, if you were downloading a update from Intuit or from Wind, from Microsoft or something and your software updates, I mean, this is just something so benign, you just wouldn't know. Okay. And it could occur in any industry, financial sectors, government sectors, so on and so forth. Uh, it could happen both in software and hardware. There's really kind of no no way of like limiting the exposure just to one in industry or business. And the best example I can give you of this is the company SolarWinds. Okay. Now this happened in 2020. Uh, the effects of this we're still feeling, I think we're still going to feel forever. But I didn't even really think of this as being a vector of attack until the SolarWinds data breach. And then I don't think most people knew either. I think you know, kind of had SolarWinds breach occurred, and then there's just like an aha moment for people around the world. So if you're not familiar with this, if you're asking what the heck is a SolarWind, 
you don't need to know all the circumstances about what they do, but really you need to know that it's not software you use. You probably wouldn't use this unless you were in a Fortune 500 or a bigger business or a government agency, but it's software that definitely powers many of the vendors and bigger businesses that you do business with. This is software that they would typically use. Now, SolarWinds makes stuff that really kind of helps power IT infrastructure. Uh, their Orion application, for example, is something that can uh, manage and monitor the physical health presence, making sure it's working for like hardware, software, and applications and databases. You know, think of like a company like Ford or, you know, Coca-Cola or, you know, the U.S. Defense Department or the State Department that has infrastructure potentially worldwide. And we're not talking a couple pieces. We're talking potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of devices that could be connected. You know, how do you know that that one, you know, printer in the Southern California Los Angeles branch office on the third floor is working? Well, Solar Winds makes that kind of software that can monitor and manage all that type of infrastructure for you and then report upon it. And if there's an issue, it gives you the ability to be able to troubleshoot that and then be able to resolve it remotely. So, there are Orion applications primarily used in large organizations, distributed organizations, Organizations have a lot of their own significant infrastructure and a lot of complexity in their operations. Again, this is not a mom and pop type thing. You know, I think Ford Motor Company, think Pepsi, think Department of Defense, stuff like that. Okay. Not saying any of those organizations were in any way tied to this. It's just size of organizations to think about. Well, in early 2020, uh, foreign hackers breached the SolarWinds software development and uh, team and the infrastructures that they use to physically develop the Orion application, okay? The, the company that physically, you know, fingers to the keyboard make the software that makes that uh, all of that monitoring possible. So they had insecurities in their network that allowed for these people to be able to breach, get in, and then compromise the secure development that they use to create their application. And as with all applications, you know, uh, Orion just being one of many, uh, I mean, it's built by typically a bigger team of people. People are working and managing specific features and functions, um, you know, and then it all gets compiled into updates and then those updates are pushed out to customers. And as with a lot of organizations and a lot of applications, Orion had built in update functionality. Okay. You know, when you go to the Windows start menu and you go, uh, start, update, and then your just computer updates. Or every once in a while, I'll tell you, hey, I need to reboot now. I've got an update applied. Okay. Orion had that as well. And the malware that they created came through that secured update channel. So you didn't even know when you were updating that you were downloading a version that also contained malware that would allow a third party into your network. Okay. So in December of 2020, SolarWinds was hacked. Uh, and we. I should say the royal we here, it is believed, it was never conclusively proven or at least not publicly disclosed, that the threat actors here were part of the uh, Russian SVR group. The sophistication of this breach, the level of complexity required to pull something off, this is not just some pimple-faced kid in his mom's basement. This is like a very sophisticated uh, thing, had to have been conducted by a military operation. And who has the most to gain here? It's going to be Russia. Okay, Russia or China, more likely Russia. Okay, threat actors uh, uh, compromised that software development proper, uh, process, and their primary focus was to insert that malware and then get that malware delivered to its customers. And then the customers unknowingly 
downloaded through a secure update channel uh, that infected version of Orion, which then propagated and processed to lots and lots of computers and lots and lots of networks all over. And customers just updated like normal, but unbeknownst to them, they were infecting their system. And to them, it just looked like any other software update. And we don't have a lot of data. I think a lot of this is uh, we're never going to know completely. Uh, But we do know it was about 18,000 different businesses, including most of the Fortune 500 and pretty much every branch, executive branch of the U.S. federal government. Okay. So as part of the attack, the threat actors gained access uh, and then added this backdoor to that Orion build system. And according to CrowdStrike, this came from one of their manual, uh, they used a malware named Sunspot. Okay, And that Sunspot was injected into the SolarWinds uh, application and then it allowed these third parties to be able to get the, the same level of access that solar winds had basically the same ability to be able to view uh, data infrastructure so on and so forth to really kind of understand uh, what's going on in that network okay and solar winds developers will continue to build their product as normal uh, but every time you know right before it would go out the door uh, the sunspot malware would be injected into their code and they would not know about it you know essentially they just, they just didn't know they would then push the update out to the customers. Customers would update like normal, uh, but they didn't know that there was, in fact, malware in that particular update. And once loaded, it would communicate back to, in this case, the Russian SVR, or allegedly the Russian SVR, and it would talk to a remote command and control server to receive jobs, to seek out specific data, execute commands on infected networks, and more. Okay? Well, FireEye, which was one of the company, actually it was the company that discovered this breach. And the way they were able to discover this breach is they observed uh, abnormal things occurring in their network that then they were able to trace back and figure out where it was coming from. They were the ones who actually blew the whistle on this. They got a great article I'd recommend you check out here talking specifically about supply chain breach. And here are some of the the recommendations that they made. Uh, First and foremost, you should pick a small supplier base. You know, pick companies uh, that you know you can trust that have good reliable uh, and strong security reputations um, if you have a smaller group of suppliers you could have tighter control you know over what you're using and I will tell you you should not just let people inside your businesses download and install applications okay you need to have stringent vendor vetting and then actual controls over the applications and the vendors that you do work with okay you just can't let Bob from accounting picks some application because he thinks it's cool uh, or that's what he just happened to use in his last job. Nor can Susan just download something from some website, you know, that promises to make whatever projects he's working on snappier and faster. Um, You need to pick and put controls and there needs to be some sort of uh, centralized authority inside the business that's ultimately vetting these companies and making decisions about what is going to be, um, what is ultimately going to be allowed inside of the company. Okay, and you should also pick applications where security is built into the design, okay? Um, As a software developer, a guy who's made lots of different computer programs, you can't just, you know, add security after the fact. It's not just something that you could just basically layer on top of a finished application. A good application has security built throughout its entire core, and it's a core feature of the application itself. If you can't have security in your application, you have nothing. 
Okay. Security is trust. Trust is security. And if you can't rely on something, it doesn't belong in your business. So you need to, again, find good suppliers, good vendors, make sure they have good controls, vet the controls. Uh, and you need to ask some good questions about how they incorporate security in their practices because you don't want a data breach on their side to ultimately infect and impact your business. Let's go ahead and have another review question. So our next review question, what is the primary focus of a supply chain attack? Okay, is it the target's main raw, I'm sorry, what is the primary focus of a supply chain attack? Well, is it the target's main raw supply vendor? No, I don't think it's probably gonna be that guy. Is it gonna be the target's financial institution? Nope. Okay, the primary focus here is going to be the less secure elements in the target's supply chain. So they're going to be focusing on the other people and other entities inside of your supply chain that maybe are less secure than you are, because if they can hack them, they can get into you. Okay, our next threat... Uh, vector that we're going to talk through is going to be about your inbox. Okay, it's time that we have a talk about your email. And we use the term now business email compromise or BCE. And it's really focusing on people being able to compromise uh, your email infrastructure and ultimately, you know, tricking people into either willingly divulging information about themselves, uh, handing over credentials, downloading malware and more. Uh, and in fact, if you're going to experience a data breach here in the in the year, uh, it's statistically more likely to gonna come from your business email box than pretty much anywhere else. Now, ultimately, with the BCE attacks, it's really social engineering. That's your that's your big thing here. That's the thing that you really uh, need to be familiar with. OK, um, I would say within any business, social engineering is the biggest threat. Um, I would tell you it's a heck of a lot easier to hack the individual than to hack the uh, security uh, inside of the company. Um, frankly, Microsoft, Adobe, I mean, all these big businesses that make software we use every day, I mean, they're really smart people and they do really good things. Yes, they experience issues. Yes, there are things like zero-day attacks that they didn't see. But all your low-hanging fruit, I mean, we've plucked it off the tree at this point. So it's a lot easier to be able to hack the person than to hack the software because the software, for the most part, is pretty well made at this point in time. We've been doing it a while. But social engineering, just so we can all refresh ourselves, it is when we manipulate a person into performing actions or devolving confidential information. I like to think of it really as a good old-fashioned con job. You know, you have somebody that calls up and pretends they're from the IRS and you have back taxes owed. Uh, I'm sure we've all gotten a call or 20 uh, about our car's extended warranty at this point in time. Uh, you might have gotten a call from somebody from Microsoft claiming that they need to update your operating system or something else, okay? Uh, or you could have gotten an email from somebody saying that your long-lost relative in Nigeria died and you need to wire them money because they're going to send you $20 million. Uh, or that your Norton antivirus has uh, expired and you need to click this link to download the update. Ultimately, what we're trying to do here is to manipulate the user into giving up something. It could be a password, ask them to download malware, or something really equally awful. The goal is to extract something valuable from them. And we've used this particular method forever. You know, from the Trojan horse era, from the age of antiquity to the annoying fake calls that we get today from the IRS or the car warranty people, uh, it's the same intention, okay? We break down a perimeter, we get in, 
and we get in because of the um, manipulation of a person. So I would tell you, first and foremost, you need to be wary and you need to be skeptical. You need to be skeptical about everything. Um, I don't think of myself as a cynic. I really don't. Um, but I can tell you that I, I've, I've got a pretty high, um, if you'll allow me to say this, a pretty high BS meter. And I tend to question phone calls, text messages, WhatsApp messages, emails more than anything else, kind of trying to sniff that out because everybody seems to be trying to game and manipulate you these days. you got to be really, really, really careful. There's even things called spear phishing where they will specifically target uh, people in financial roles because of your position of privilege inside the company. So be really weary about email, text messages, and everything else. Be very cautious about people trying to contact you out the blue. Uh, and you might even want to implement, you know, identification policies to be able to identify authorized people. So social engineering is the macro thing here. Specifically, though, BEC, uh, again, relies on this social engineering. And while employees of any level could be targeted, the criminals almost exclusively appeal to seniority uh, to secure compliance. So really what they're trying to do is probably not the low end, not the intern, but like, you know, the the good right below middle management or maybe even middle management type person, you know, where they've got somebody above them, maybe one or two levels. And, you know, they're trying to manipulate that person specifically because they, you know, or they also will sometimes target the CEO, CFO as well. Um, but um, usually it's kind of in that that realm. And sometimes, for example, they will, uh, you know, email you. Uh, let's say you, uh, let's say I'm the person who does the AP management for my company, okay? And these people might email me, and they might send me an email to mimic those by senior executives. Um, they could abuse free services like Gmail to create personal email addresses, like president name at gmail.com. Uh, so it looks like it's coming from that executive account. In very rare circumstances, they'll sometimes even compromise that executive's corporate email, especially if they're using a weak password. Uh, and despite being under reported BEC attacks caused by far the most financial damage of any attack type, even more than ransomware. And these emails can look like anything. I've got a couple of examples. I actually pulled these earlier today. Um, you know, uh, this email I got, Shell, answer and win. Here's a $500 gas gift card. Literally every single button, image, and link in here all went to the same thing. They all went and downloaded malware to your computer if you clicked on it. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is an example from Urgent. McAfee subscription has expired. Your device has been infected with 23 viruses. First off, I would never buy a McAfee product ever. But, uh, you know, just, just you know, very lazy for the most part here. But literally, same thing. Uh, link to download malware, download malware, malware, malware everywhere. Uh, I mean, some of these are, this is example of stuff that uh, that is... Um, Pretty, pretty crummy, um, but they can get pretty sophisticated as well. A couple things I'll point out here. Uh, this came on my Gmail account. Uh, first off, you should look for this little like uh, little lock-looking guy right here. This tells me that the message was not encrypted. That's usually a pretty good indication that it's uh, going to be a phony baloney message. Likewise, you get a bunch of weird stuff and characters, especially odd domain names. That's usually a pretty good indication. I wish I kept it. I got an email. Um, I'll just briefly mention this. I got an email probably about two months ago. No, about a month ago. And um, it was from an employee of ours. Uh, I don't mind saying it. It was Alicia Yas, who is our director of marketing, uh, and also my wife. And uh, it was from somebody who created 
like Alicia Yas 2022 at gmail.com. And they had a copy of her, uh, her signature. And, um, you know, it, it said, dear Steve, I've updated my banking details. Can you please update my paycheck to deposit to my new bank account? And they provided like a bank account number. And, you know, of course, I've, I, I mean, I sometimes I wonder if these people are just using some sort of script because like you're sending it to the guy with the same last name. Of course, I'm going to recognize this. And of course, I'm going to know it's going to be phony baloney, you know, but um, I couldn't help. I, I played with the guy a little bit. Unfortunately, he didn't write back and I, I didn't take a screenshot of it. I wish I would have would have uh, taken a screenshot of this message. But, you know, they just said I'm emailing you for my personal account. I, I can't get access to my business account. But uh, paychecks coming up. Can you please update the banking info? And I checked the routing number provided. It was some bank in uh, Hong Kong, I think. So, but I mean, it looked reasonably good. And if she wasn't my wife and I was a bigger company, I might have fallen victim to that. So you got to be careful. You got to be vigilant. You got to got to keep an eye out on these things. Okay. So here's a graphic. I'm not going to go through this in, in super detail here, uh, but here's the primary steps with respect to how this works. Step one, they identify a target. Um, they will specifically look at company websites. They're going to look at LinkedIn. Uh, they're going to try to get information about people. Um, and specifically, this type of attack is what we refer to as spear phishing. They're targeting a person, just like a, a guy spear phishing targets a specific fish. And they'll groom you, okay? You know, in the sense they'll try to re- build some rapport, could last one or two emails, could last longer. Uh, there'll be some sort of exchange of information. They're going to, for example, ask you to. Uh, you know, hey, update payment information and send my paycheck to this new bank account or update vendor information and send uh, payments to this new bank account or something else like that. Ultimately, what they're trying to do here, most instances, is either get you to download malware or more often with spear phishing wire money to some sort of overseas account. It's important to remember, once a wire is committed and sent, you can't really ever pull it back. A couple of notable examples of, of BEC attacks. Techmont SPA, okay? Um, this happened, I think, last year. A group of Chinese hackers robbed 1.3 billion rupees, about uh, $18 million, from an, the Indian move, uh, unit of Techmont. They impersonated an Italian engineering firm CEO. Uh, the scammers sent emails to the India head of Techmont from an account that looked similar to the CEO's. And organize conference calls to discuss confidential uh, business work in China, you know, trying to build rapport, so on and so forth. The hackers convinced this Indian chief to transfer money to the acquisition so they could fund this acquisition. And they did. They sent money out of Indian banks to banks in Hong Kong. Um, you know, they were saying this, that the, they couldn't send it to the normal bank due to regulatory issues. But uh, as far as I'm aware, I believe the money was still gone, you know, so Techmont's a pretty big company. I'm sure they're pretty smart people, but they look pretty, unfortunately, pretty foolish when this came out. So here is a overview of uh, some of the major BEC tech types that you should be familiar with. OK, impersonation of senior executive emails. OK, 44 percent of the time email account of the employee was compromised. OK, about 23 percent. Cyber criminals used an impersonation address and altered the reply to. Uh, you should know that when you send an email, you could designate a different address to reply back to. Uh, and that sometimes will happen. So it'll look like it came from president at company.com, but then you reply back, it's going to, you know, maybe a Gmail account or it's going to another email somewhere else. Okay. Uh, email tricked into paying fraudulent invoices. Uh, senior executive emails accounts were compromised. Recipient email accounts were compromised. Employee tricked into paying a valid invoice to a fraudulent bank account. 
an employee tricked into paying payroll into a fraudulent bank account. These are your your top type of attacks. And again, these are coming from that SonicWall cyber threat uh, report. And um, I think this big one here, though, the spear phishing is definitely the one I think most of us have probably experienced. And you might ask, why would somebody want to do this? Well, frankly, it's big business. Uh, total loss of $1.8 billion in 2020. Uh, and this is just from the attacks we're aware of. Research estimates that 80% of organizations were targeted by at least one BEC attack in 2021. Uh, mid-sized organizations were the most likely to experience an attack. Uh, about 90% saw one. And we're starting to see that even percolate down into smaller organizations as well. And it's actually pretty successful. Nearly 60% of organizations surveyed became a successful victim of this attack or almost a successful victim. Like they got all the way right up to the end and there you go. Okay. Now, how can you protect this? How can you protect yourself? How can you protect your organization? Uh, first and foremost, I would tell you verify everything. Okay. If an employee, for example, calls or sends you an email saying, I changed my bank account, pick up the phone and call them. Don't reply back to that message. You know, contact them. If they contacted you by email, you give them a call. If they called you, send them a text message. If they sent you a text message, send them an email. You want to contact people on different methods and just confirm. I'm not kidding you folks. Just confirm. Okay. If you do that, if you just basically pick up the phone and talk to people, that'll resolve 90% of it. And then also recognize how people talk and communicate. I remember talking with one attendee at one point who almost fell victim to this. And then she reread the note from the uh, CEO apparently had sent her and she realized that the CEO is not a very polite person. And he said, please and thank you, which were two words that that person didn't say that often. Uh, So use common sense and and verify. And the other thing that you can do is you can start to train. Um, There are a variety of different organizations that are out there that can assist you with security awareness and training. And the best of the best at the moment is this group called Know Before, Um, that offers a variety of different tools to increase the security training for your customers. Uh, They have a number of different resources and services that are useful here, uh, including, for example, their phishing service. Um, Their phishing service is essentially a tool that you can use to create campaigns that will simulate phishing attacks. They've got lots of templates with lots of commonly used applications, uh, you know, for like Microsoft, from Adobe, from Intuit and others. And what they're trying to get you to do is you send these out to your employees and the software's tracking whether or not they open the message, replied to the message, clicked on the links in the message, or anything else. You know, And I, I would tell you it's one of, the, one of the better tools that are out there. Now, ethically, you know, you're kind of, you know, um, it's not entrapment, but you're know, kind of entrapping your employees by, you know, kind of doing this type of training. But frankly... This is one of the best methods that you can do to help reduce your exposure because then they will recognize the risk because they will have seen it before and you're doing it in a safe manner in a learning environment. And the data backs this up. Now, granted, this is coming from their sales material, so take it with a grain of salt. But uh, I can tell you from my own experience, I think it's pretty accurate here. You know, so if we look at this, um, you know, people who use this application before and after, you know, about four, we see about 30% of businesses falling victim to this. They start using no before. They start going through this training period. No before is not a one-time thing. They are going to do this continuously. So your employees are constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, but regularly getting 
these messages. So they're going to, it's not going to be something that they learn that just kind of like fades from their knowledge. And we can see here just even a couple of months later that drops down to about 16% and about a year later it drops down to about 5%. And frankly, I, I think the proof is in the pudding. And this is a really good example of where this type of training has proven track record for results. Now, no before is not free. They do have a minimum. I think it's 25 licenses to buy. Comes in at about 600 bucks is the minimum that you would need for your company. And then they charge per user. But that minimum would be for uh, about a 25-person company, about 600 bucks. That's reasonably uh, affordable. And that's something I would definitely tell you is, a, is, a, is money well spent. What is the intended outcome of a social engineering attack? Okay, is it the victim willingly provides their social security number to the adversary? If that's what they're after, yeah, I mean, that could absolutely be an intended outcome. Okay, the victim willingly downloads malware to their device. Absolutely. The victim willingly violates the security principle of the organization. Sure. The answer is all of the above and more. Uh, it could be anything. I mean, it could really be a lot of different things to the company. It just depends on what the attacker is looking for. All right, the last thing that we're going to discuss this hour is going to be just an introduction to malware and discussing what malware is. Uh, and then in the next episode of this, we're going to go ahead and explore ransomware, which is the most pervasive type of malware that's out there as well, uh, as well as uh, many other topics. Uh, but let's just broadly set the tone of what uh, malware is and what it means to a company. So malware is short for malicious software. Uh, it refers to any sort of intrusion and um, attack that's using software that is typically developed, well, it is developed by some sort of cyber criminal. We use the term hacker here colloquially. Uh, but malware is intended to steal, damage, destroy something. Um, usually a, a, the target could be a competitor. It could be a government agency. It could be whomever, okay? Uh Malware is the most inclusive term. There are specific types of malware, ransomware being one of them, viruses, worms, Trojan horses, spyware, adware. All of these things are malware. Malware is the catch-all term. And I will say that uh, malware, most often than not, leads to data breaches, and they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with each other. Used to see that you would see malware that was you know, basically just there to you know, take down businesses and take them offline, or maybe it was some kid having fun with his school. It's not the case anymore. I mean, it is really just about stealing data, okay? So if you want to sound like a cool kid, use the word malware instead of viruses. It's what we use, and it's that catch-all term, although there are a lot of very specific types. Now, some growth trends. What's interesting is that just general malware uh, continues to drop, and in 2021, fell 4% year over year. Uh, however, we're still dealing with a fair amount. Um, I will tell you that according to Sonic Wall's data, which is what I'm presenting here, it was a mere 5.4 billion hits. Um, so, I mean, it's still still very pervasive, okay? Uh, since 2019, malware volume has been falling globally. Uh, but what I will tell you is that it's still a massive and significant uh, attack vector. And really, with a lot of this malware, it's just really kind of going into ransomware. Now, with most malware, it's trying to get you to download a file. Uh, most of these files are going to be executables. They're going to be scripts. Uh, they could be Excel workbooks that have a macro embedded in them that do nasty things to your computer. Uh, here's the most common malware file names. You'll notice, and one thing I do like to point out about this, because it really plays into 
us as financial professionals here, look how many of these actually happen to deal with money of some sort. Purchaseorder.exe, invoice.exe, PO.exe, new order. Uh, .exe product inquiry payment, you know, about half of these are all financial related terms. So just keep in mind, again, we're always a target here. Now in the United States, where is most at risk? Well, um, I would say Florida. All right. How about you, Florida? Yay. Number one, uh, had the highest volume of malware with over 625 occurrences detected just in that state. Uh, however, not the riskiest state. Uh, the riskiest state actually is Kansas, and the least risky is Maine. Uh, and really what we're talking about here is malware spread, which is um, you know the ability for these malware to come in and then be able to spread over to multiple um, places. And so the spread number is the adjusted total and a, generally a more accurate representation of risk. Okay. So if you're in Florida, keep your guard up. I would definitely uh, be concerned. If you're in Kansas, keep your guard up. Maine, Maine, you keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're making it work. Okay, top risks by industries here. Okay, two industries that saw significant risks in malware. Healthcare, huge increase year over year. Government, pretty big increase, almost 100%. Um, I will tell you, the industry with the highest percentage of customers that targeted education, okay, and... Um, if you think about it, I mean, these these all different types of organizations, they have lots of people coming and going. Um, training isn't necessarily a huge priority in every one of these industries, uh, both in terms of technical training and security training. I would tell you that regardless of your industry, you need to be trained and you need to be uh, educated on what the risks are so that you can recognize them from happening and, and know as simple as this is, don't click on links that potentially contain malware. Don't download random things from the internet because they could potentially uh, hurt you. Now, I don't have a slide for this, but I will tell you one of the absolute best ways that you can reduce your risk and exposure as it relates to malware is to not be an administrator on your computer. And what do I mean by that? In all computers, uh, there's only two types of users. There's a user and then there's an administrator, Okay. Uh, a user can't really do anything. A user has defined rights. They might be able to write files to the directories or download things or something else, but they don't actually have full rights. Administrators have full rights, though, and even then they can be scoped down a little bit. But if you are not a administrator on your computer, you have significantly less risk because the programs that are installed on your computer are going to run with the same rights and privileges as you have. Um, so if you're not an administrator and you're just a normal user and you download malware, it's not going to be um, able to spread and infect and cause as much damage as if you were an administrator. Okay, I would tell you, uh, whenever possible, just don't be an administrator on your computer. Now, another method that you can uh, do to help reduce your risk and exposure is to use a tool called controlled folder access uh, inside your computer. And controlled folder access is a, a tool that's not just strictly for... Um, malware, but also ransomware as well, that will prevent uh, ransomware or malware from uh, changing, deleting, or modifying specified folders inside your computer. Let me show you what I mean. From your Windows environment, if you just open up your start menu and just type in control folder access, you'll see this pop up here. And if you load this up, okay, I've, you can see I've got it here on my VM. This will show you 
the configuration menu for control folder access. And what you can do is you can actually specify specific folders where if uh, malware were to get installed and it tries to start deleting photos or videos or music or something else like this, control folder access is going to prevent that application from doing anything. Okay. Now you can actually come over here and look at this block history and it'll actually show you when certain applications um, try to change things inside of those directories and it blocks it. Now you could say, hey, for example, like I want to, it's okay, I want to allow this, like this application here, nothing to worry about. I can allow it to move forward, but this controlled folder access in the event that you actually do download malware or ransomware is going to prevent the ransomware from infecting, encrypting, or deleting uh, folders specified in that directory. Now, you might ask yourself, why want make the whole computer this way? Well, ultimately, it just comes down to the fact that there's so many files that need to change on your computer at any given time that um, it's just not reasonable. So you really just want to use it for your data directories here, uh, your personal directories, rather than like the program folders or the Windows directory. Uh, but this is a wonderful tool, free. Just got to turn it on and then specify the folders that you want to allow it to use. Thank you so much for attending our presentation and podcast for today. As a reminder, you can check out cpetoday.com for all your continuing education needs. We have courses on every topic you can think of from accounting to audit to ethics and regulation and more. Everything you need to know to stay relevant, current, and up to date with the profession. Again, check out cpetoday.com. If you're a new watcher or listener to the CPE Today podcast, again, we offer you a free course and a free credit for you to try our services. Pick the podcast of your choosing and use coupon code ONEFREEPODCAST at checkout to make that purchase free. If you enjoyed our presentation, please consider connecting with us on social media and let us know what you think. You can find us just about everywhere at CPE Today, uh, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more. And please consider subscribing to us wherever you happen to receive your content. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and others. We'd love for you to leave a review and let us know what you think. It helps new listeners and watchers find our course and content. Thank you so much for your time and attention. Thank you for being in the office, and we look forward to seeing you back here soon. Take care.